Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Wale Akinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. In the first teaching on effective prayer, we spoke about why do we pray? What is prayer? And why do we have to pray? In the second teaching, we we spoke about the different types of prayers and why persistence is key and how to build a consistent prayer life. In the third service, we spoke about how God answers prayers. Receiving answers to our prayers, different dimensions of how God answers our prayers and what we should be looking at for. In this service, effective prayer, subtitled, Victory in Spiritual Warfare. First and foremost, I want to um, start from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 20, and this is what it says. All the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Paul, the apostle, is writing originally in this verse to the Corinthian church, to the church in Corinth, to Christians. People that were Gentiles, followers of other gods, just like you and I. Followers of their own lustful passions, just like you and I. Until they met with Christ. So now they're born again, they're blood washed. Now they are the church. And Paul says to them, all the promises. All the promises. Why am I emphasizing this? Because a lot of the promises, promises Paul was referring to were promises that were made in the Old Testament told the Israelites that had a covenant with Jehovah God. Here now, Paul is telling us that the connection between what God said directly to the Israelites and us in the church is Jesus Christ. Let me take that again. So, for example, let's go to the book of Isaiah. Very simple. Isaiah chapter 54. Now, this promise in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, 2, 3, For example, just as an example, these were promises that were initially and directly given to the children of Israel, Israelites, the Jews, by God through the prophet Isaiah. So how will it apply to me, born a Nigerian, now a Christian? How will this apply to me? So Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians that you Corinthians, born Corinthians, but now you're born again, the connection is Christ. But let's look at the promise first. He says, for example, it says, um, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Keep going then. It says, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out your curtains, do not spare length in your cords and strengthen your stakes. Keep going, please. He says, for you shall expand to the right and to the left. Your descendants shall inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. This is a promise in the Bible that was directly initially given to the children of Israel. Now, how, so how will this apply to me? So Paul says this, all of these promises that God had given to the Israelites and the Jews, that these promises are fulfilled in Christ. So when you and I put our trust in Christ, Christ, the covenant we have with Christ, brings us into the covenant and we become partakers of the same promises. Are you still with me? So, this is my point. When the people in the Old Testament, the saints in the Old Testament, 
were claiming the promises of God and praying for those promises. They have never seen the fulfillment of those promises. They were hoping God would be able to do it and trusting God would do it. We in the New Testament, when we are praying, we are praying about the promises that have been fulfilled in Christ. These promises are not something that maybe God can do or he will not be able to do. Some, all of the conditions that are required for these promises to be fulfilled have been fulfilled in Christ. And so, Christ is the, what you would say, a trustee. So he had fulfilled the promises, and now he's keeping the manifestation of these promises in trust for you and I. Are you, are you with me today? So when, that's why when we pray in his name, we're connecting with him because he is keeping this in trust. You know, if you want to buy a house, the lawyer, you give the lawyer, say, $10,000, they keep that money for you in trust. The money is not owned by them, but it's written in the name of their firm or in their name, but it's kept in trust. It's your own, but it's kept in trust, hoping that you will fulfill the rest of the bargain. Praise God. Alright, so this is the place where spiritual warfare starts. I know the word warfare does not appear in this verse, but that is where, in the New Testament, spiritual warfare starts. Why does spiritual warfare start from 2 Corinthians 1.20? Because it starts there because this verse gives you confidence that you are fighting for what belongs to you. Yes. You cannot effectively fight for what you are not sure belongs to you. If you're not sure something belongs to you, if I'm not sure this phone belongs to me now, and I see somebody come and take it away, well, I don't know, maybe it's their phone. If I say, excuse me, and the person doesn't look back, then I might assume maybe they took their own phone. But if I know it's mine, and I say, excuse me, and they don't look back, I walk straight to them and say, hey, can I have my phone? Because I believe it's mine. So you cannot effectively fight in spiritual warfare for what you don't think is yours. If you're thinking maybe it's mine, maybe it's not mine, then you cannot give it your whole strength. Your whole commitment. But all of the promises, 2 Corinthians 1.20, let's go back to it. How many, how many of the promises? How many of the promises? All the promises of God. In Christ, they are yes and they are amen. God will promote you. God will lift you up. In the name of Jesus Christ. So according to all these promises, then, then the Bible now tells us we need to do something about these promises. That is where First Timothy, First Timothy chapter one verse eighteen comes into play. This is where it comes into play. It says, "This charge, then, son, according to the prophecies." It's also okay for you to use the word "promises," previously made concerning you. Wage a good warfare concerning them. Wage a good warfare. Look at the next verse. Some people have rejected this idea of warfare. And, and a good conscience. And that is why they have shipwrecked their faith. When you reject the whole idea that the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ, and you need to enforce what belongs to you here on earth, you are putting yourself in danger of being shipwrecked. You're putting yourself in danger of being shipwrecked. Warfare is very important. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Another place where the word warfare appears. It says... Therefore, endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ, Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Nobody engaged. Somebody say engaged. Nobody engaged in warfare entangles himself. Let's stop there. Please listen. First, let's try and understand this verse by what it does not say. It didn't say nobody interested in warfare. It said nobody. The word engaged is giving us an indication that this is a full-time role. This is not uh, something you can be interested in. And so, well, I'll, I'll see what happens. 
I'll, I'll, I'll try it and see what happens uh, in, in one prayer session. No, he must be engaged. Engage himself. Himself. Engage in warfare. So you don't entangle yourself because you are engaged in warfare. Now, the word warfare, like I said um, in one of the teachings, is the word campaign. To wage a campaign. To have a plan to wage a campaign. It does not mean to hit and run away. It means to have an elaborate plan to wage a sustainable campaign against the enemy. Thank you, Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say about warfare? Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the foundation of the church. What did he say about warfare? Because sometimes some people say in the body of Christ, they argue that warfare is no longer necessary. That Jesus Christ already conquered Satan, so we don't need warfare anymore. And I will explain that to you in a minute. But first, let's hear from the master himself. What did he say about warfare? Matthew chapter 12, verse 27 to 29. What did Jesus say about warfare? Jesus Christ said, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Verse 28. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. We're coming back to this verse in a minute. Verse 29. How can you enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Come on, speak to me. Unless he first... That's it. The same Jesus that says, seek first the kingdom of God. He's telling you and here now that in prioritization also, you must first bind the strong man before you can plunder his house. This is a scripture that Jesus spoke in the context of bringing about healings and miracles. But let's go back to verse 28. I want to show you something here. In verse 28, he says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come. Remember, Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Our father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Speak to me. And Jesus said, the kingdom is not coming based on this verse except the spirit of the enemy is cast out. Pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. But the kingdom cannot come except by the spirit of God. We cast out devils or we, 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 we send them packing. So you want the kingdom of God to come? We want the kingdom of God to come. We want revival in this nation. You want revival in your family. The kingdom of God and its attributes cannot be established until the kingdom of darkness is engaged and, and, and defeated. Pray, our Father who art in heaven. Now, listen to me. When you interpret the Bible, theologians um, in the body, let me put it this way, in the study of Bible interpretation, the whole body of Bible interpretation is called the study of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Now, in the study of hermeneutics, there are many principles of interpreting the Bible to rightly divide the word of truth. One of the principles is the law or the principle of first mention. One of the other principles is also the principle of progressive mention. Because in Scripture, <laughs> the things that God is teaching us in Scripture, He doesn't put everything together in one place. If you want to learn about, if you want to learn about how to take care of your children, for example, or what God has said about children. You can't open to only one chapter in the Bible and find everything about children. The Bible is not arranged in such a manner. So you have to pick a little here, pick a little there, get a general revelation of God, and assemble. So theology or understanding the Bible is actually an assembly. You have to take a part here, a part here, a part here, put it together, and make sure it does not violate the entire revelation of God in the Bible. 
Am I speaking in the right church? So that is why you will see a little here, you pick a little there, and you pick a little there. When you put it together, it makes sense. So first and foremost, Jesus said, pray, the kingdom come. And he stopped there. But that's not the whole revelation. Then he goes on further. This is in Matthew 6. He says, pray, the kingdom to come. In Matthew 12, he said, if that kingdom will come, by the spirit of God, you must first cast out devils. So we must, this is what Jesus said about warfare. What else did Jesus say about spiritual warfare? Luke 11, 21 to 22. Gospel according to St. Luke 11, 21 to 22. When a strong man is fully armed and is guarding his own palace, he says his goods are in peace. 22. But when a stronger than he comes upon and overcomes him, Please remember the word comes upon. That means take the initiative and overcomes. It takes from him his armor and devises Paul. Let's go to the Old Testament and see what God Almighty says about spiritual warfare and about battles of life. We've seen what Jesus said because another principle of Bible interpretation is that for us that are Christians in today's world, in, I mean, when I use the word today is what I mean after Jesus has died and resurrected. Because Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, 1, 2, 3, tells us, Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3, tells us that in the old days God spoke by the prophets to our fathers. But in these last days he's speaking to us by his son, who he has made heir of all things. So for us now, New Testament Christians, God speaks to us mainly. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. But for us to understand better, we have examples also in the Old Testament which we can build on. So what did God say about battles of life in the Old Testament? Look at what it says. Isaiah 54 15. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 15. This is God speaking. God Almighty speaking now. Now listen to what it says. I want you to pay attention to this verse. It says indeed. Somebody say indeed. indeed. One translation says surely. Now remember that everything that God says comes to pass. He says surely they will or they shall assemble. Let's stop there. Because sometimes people are shocked that there are people that have assembled or forces that have assembled against the interest of the kingdom of God. But God is speaking here. God says, come and speak to me. Surely. God says, surely they will assemble. So when you see, so you cannot pray this away. God already said, surely they will assemble. But God said, that assembly is not because of him. He said, whosoever assembles against you then, come and speak to me. What was very interesting to me was that God called Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Look at what God says to him. Jeremiah 1 5. Look at what God said to Jeremiah. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Wow. Many people will take a promise like this and run with it. And it's a fantastic promise. It gets even better. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. God said to Jeremiah in verse 10. He says, look at this day. I have set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, build, and plant. Now we can take this promise and run with it. But look at verse 19, what God said to Jeremiah. Still in the same chapter. God said in verse 19. God said, what did he say? But Jeremiah goes, excuse me, Lord, but I thought you said you set me over the nations. God said, yeah, I did. But they will fight against you. So Jeremiah, if you're not willing to fight, 
your destiny to be over the nations is already lost. It is true that Jeremiah, that before I formed you, let's go back to it, verse 5. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I already ordained you to the nations. So Jeremiah, that is your destiny. Don't come back and complain to me that you are unable to fulfill it. In verse 10, I've also equipped you for that destiny. I have set you over the nations, God said to Jeremiah. And God said to him in verse 19, Jeremiah, just before you start going out, note that they will fight against you. Did you see that? But God said, but. Somebody say, but. Say it again, but. So God said, but they shall not prevail against you. And God said, the reason is because I'm with you now. How can God be with me and they're fighting against me? It doesn't make sense. And this is the question people ask. They say, well, if God is really for me, I know he said he will never leave me nor forsake me. Why am I going through this? Well, the scripture has been fulfilled. They will fight against you. But you have to understand that the God that said they will fight against you is also the God that said they will not prevail against you. I saw a scripture many years ago, and it settled it in my heart. Revelation 12, 7. I love the scripture. The Bible says, war broke out in heaven. And that comforted me. Because heaven is where God lives. Sorry? If war can break out there, excuse me, sir, don't be surprised that war breaks out anywhere. <laughs> war broke out. No, the Bible didn't say was, but war broke out. It broke out in heaven. Now, if war can suddenly break out in heaven, it can break out anywhere. But the Bible says that Michael and his angels fought. What was the response of the kingdom of God? Look at it. It's on the screen. And the dragon and his angels fought. But Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. They knew they would not prevail, but they still fought. What? Listen to me. Don't confuse the enemy fighting with the enemy prevailing. They're two different things. The enemy is permitted to fight. Two things the scripture says the enemy is permitted to do. The enemy is permitted to assemble. And the enemy is permitted to fight. But the enemy is not permitted to prevail. So please don't confuse assembly and fighting with prevailing. Just because you, you have a dream and you see people gathering and they're having a meeting concerning you, they are permitted to do that. You can't pray that one away. You can't pray their assembly away because God already said they will assemble. And they are also permitted to fight. What are they not permitted to do? They're not permitted to prevail. So the Bible says, it says it here in verse 8, it said, but they did not prevail. Now look at the new living translation of Revelation 12, 8. It says, and the dragon lost the battle. New living translation, what does it say? And the dragon lost the battle. Come on, speak to me. And the dragon so the dragon can fight, the dragon, dragon can assemble, even in the, let me jump quickly, even in the battle of Armageddon, that's going to happen in the future, the Satan is going to deceive the whole world, and he's going to gather a massive army to fight, and he will be slayed. So fighting is permitted. Assembly is permitted. What is not permitted? Prevailing. The enemy will not prevail over you. Listen. This assembly and this fighting is permitted because of what God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God said to Satan, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the seed of the woman. Between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. The word enmity means hostility without reason. So sometimes people throw their hands up in the air and say, I don't understand I don't know why they're always fighting me. I don't know what I have done. You haven't done anything. 
You understand? You haven't done anything. It's got nothing to do with you. It's a long, there's a long history of hatred between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And you have come to inherit this hatred. The day you get born again, you inherited God's enemy. You inherited God's blessing. Are you here? Yes, yes. You know, the person that doesn't like your father doesn't like you. If your name is, um, let's say your name is um, Benson, your last name is Benson, and you have been doing well and been doing well, and this man is, is your father's enemy. And one day, he asks you, what's your name? He said, your name is um, Soji Benson. All of a sudden, he hates you. Because everything about you reminds him of your father. Exactly what happened. Satan was thrown out of heaven by our father. So from that time, he hates our father. So everything, and you are a Christian. You are a joint here with Christ. You bear the same last name. He can't stand you. He hates you. He has enmity. Hostility without reason. So stop looking for a reason why the battle is breaking loose. People are asking, oh, I don't know why. It's, I lost my first job. I lost my second job. I'm just tired. Only two jobs you've lost. Are you tired? <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> only two. No, 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 no. Listen to me. You're a champion, not a loser. Amen. You need to understand that that's just a fight. You have to understand that destiny requires fortitude. That's the major. Write it down. It's a major statement. Destiny requires fortitude. If you don't have fortitude, you can't fulfill destiny. You need to have fortitude, strength within. Assembly, fight. Yeah, that's normal. It's a normal day. It's a normal day's work. I can imagine Jesus. He's so excited in his ministry. He will go out, cast out demons and deal with the enemy and come back home. You can imagine some of his friends will ask him, or let's assume Mary will ask him, how was your day? Oh, he said, I had a normal day. Huh? Normal day? You met with madman of Gadara? <laughs> and you cast out all these devils? That was a normal day? The devils entered the peak and the peak entered into the waters? That was a normal day? Jesus said, what is normal? Huh? There was this time when he met a madman. Huh? There was a time he met a blind man. And all these other people he met. This, and Jesus would have described this as a normal day. Battles of life. Jesus' word about the church. Let's hear what Jesus, the head of the church, said about the church. Matthew 16, verse 18 to 19. This is what he said about the church. The first time the word church is mentioned, Jesus puts the word church in the context of fight. Or fighting or battle. I will build my church. Come on now. And everything will be so nice in my church. Everybody will be happy. The whole church will be united. They will love each other. There will be no mess at all. Everybody will just love each other. Everything will be fine. And I will have taken care of the gates of hell so you guys won't have to do anything. Is that what Jesus said? He said, I'm building my church. The gates of hell. If you check the Greek, what it really means is that the gate of hell will try to stop it, but they will not be able to stop it. Verse 19 says, I will give you the key of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. So right when the church was born, it was put in the context of spiritual warfare. Matthew chapter 11 from verse 11 to 12. Matthew 11 from verse 11 to 12. I begin to tie this up now. It says, Everyone born of a woman, no one has risen one greater than John the Baptist. He who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Pay attention to verse 12. From the days. Someone say from the days. 
of John the Baptist. Until when? Sorry, until when? The kingdom of God. The word suffers is an old English word for allow. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come to me. That means allow them. The kingdom of God has permitted violence. And the violent would be hazo. Take it by force. The word violence is not talking about natural or physical violence. He's talking about a violent attitude. Violent fortitude. A violent attitude towards taking what belongs to you. Now, the Bible, Jesus Christ says it very clearly. How will you take what belongs to you? It's on the screen. Take it by what? What will characterize your taking what belongs to you? I can't hear you. The answer is on the screen. What will characterize what taking what belongs to you by what? We're not going to take it by negotiation. We're not going to take it, listen to me, we're not going to take it by playing nice and playing gentle with the kingdom of darkness. The fruit of the spirit is not designed for relationship with demons. It is designed for relationship with human beings. It is the force of the spirit that we use in confronting demons. Not the fruit of the spirit. We cannot be gentle towards a demon. We cannot be loving towards a demon. We cannot be peaceful towards a demon. We cannot just be long-suffering towards... When we are dealing with human beings, we are loving. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When we're dealing with situations whereby demon spirits are holding something that belongs to us, we can't be gentle. We have to take it by force. Somebody say, take it. Come on, be forceful. Say, take it. You take it by force. You say to your... Now, now, listen to me. Why do you think Jesus said, take it by force? If the enemy was not guarding it and was not armed, will it be necessary? Okay, imagine yourself going to the bank tomorrow. Let's assume um, my brother here, after this service now, he has enjoyed all the teachings today. And he says, Pastor, I'm going to bless you. And I said, thank you, Jesus. And he puts a million dollars in my account. I used to put me down. Some of you are saying amen. Some of you are saying no way. I don't know if it's amen you're saying or no way. But anyway. <laughs> okay, all right. It was just an illustration I wanted to make. <laughs> you see why battle is battles of life? <laughs> so, anyway, so then, then he, he puts and he tells me that, oh, you know, this, this fund is already in your account. And, um, and I go there tomorrow morning. I have an axe and I have a cutlass. Now I'm going to the bank to RBC to collect my money. I have a gun and I have some assault rifles and I have a chain bullets all over the place and I have hand grenades. And as I'm going in, I first break the glass. <laughs> ah. I said, I have money in this place to collect. And I threw a hand grenade. And I first spread the whole roof with my assault rifle. And I said, what's the problem? I said, I want to collect my money. I said, but that's not how to collect your money. There's no need for force. Is your money? Just write down how much you want to collect and speak and prove that it's you and we'll give it to you. The reason why Jesus said by force is that you need to be that armed. Because they won't give it to you easily. Because when you get there, you won't find People at this counter smiling and saying, how were you? How was the day? I hope it was a nice weather. No. You will find people that sit down and say, you, you want to take this? You cannot take this. So you have to fight. Somebody say fight. So you have to have a disposition of warfare. A disposition that says, I will not let go. Listen, you can't be looking at your children being messed up by the enemy. Children being on drugs. And you say to yourself, I just hope, not you, but I just hope he will be fine. I just love him. I will be fine. You have to understand that for the human being that is being held captive by the enemy, you will love the human being. But for the devil that is trying to use him, you must fight that devil. Does this make sense to anybody? Oh, yes. You love the child. The child says, mommy, I want to eat. Say, go and eat. Don't worry. That's fine. Eat. 
Then you go back into your room. The Bible says, I will not bring forth children for trouble. You foul devils trying to, spirits of disobedience, trying to hold my son down or my daughter down. I break your power. There will be no substance abuse. In this house, there will be no sorrow. You begin to declare the word of God. Then the spirit leave him. He becomes a normal human being. This thing I'm telling you, I've seen it several times. My wife and I, many years ago, one of the first encounters I ever had to see that the Bible comes alive. It was a Sunday like this. I was a very young Christian. I just gave my life. There was this man of God. He's been a pastor in Africa. He was now in London. So suddenly, a friend of my wife called her and said, the junior brother has just been taken to the mental home. This was in London, England. Rushed down there. And that if we can come and pray, that um, we should come and pray and go and see him. So Topsy said, um, you know, we, you know, Topsy said we should go. We just got we're married then. So she, she, said, she said we should go. Now I want to impress my wife. I couldn't tell her that I was, I was afraid. So are you following now? So I thought if I tell this lady that I'm afraid, I might lose her. So I followed her. She said, "You okay?" I said, "I'm okay." I was shaking. So both of us we followed this pastor. True life story. We got to the mental home. I was shocked when the boy came out. His eyes were blood red, completely blood red. The sister asked him, called his name. He said, what happened to you? He said, well, I was riding my bicycle. This is what he said. He said, I was riding my bicycle, and I fell down, and here I am. Ah, even me, I knew this was not normal. <laughs> the pastor that was with us, you know, he was one in front, I stood behind him, just in case the man threw some blows. <laughs> the man, the pastor in front of us was very calm. He just, kept saying, he just said to him, he said, in Jesus' name, you're going to follow me out. So he took him. We sat in the reception area. They had them little small reception in front of the world. So we sat in front. He opened his Bible. He gave him the Bible. He said, I want you to read Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5. The man kept reading it. He forgives me all my iniquities and uh, read it. He said, I finished. He said, no, read it again. I command you in Jesus' name, read it. And as he was reading it, this is the true life story. All of a sudden, from the world, one young boy just came out. Almost stuck naked. He was already removing his pants. He just came out and was speaking in tongues. I almost took off. I was scared to death. I thought to myself, I'm not going to survive this place today. <laughs> I was scared. He just came out and was speaking in something that looks like tongue. He was the guy, if you look at him, he was looking fairy. Young teenager, but looking fairy. My wife is sitting beside me. I can't be peeing in my pants. You understand? I just screamed a little bit and I, I, because I caught the attention of the pastor. Pastor, pastor. <laughs> I, come on. Are you with me now? <laughs> and I was shocked what the pastor said. The pastor just looked at him and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, sit down there. This guy that was coming out like this, he said, in, the man looked. He looked up and down. You know, he looked confused. He said, in, I'm talking to you. In the name of Jesus, sit down there. Me? In the name of Jesus, sit down there. And the guy sat down. And that's how the guys sat down. Ah! I said, this thing is working, you know. <laughs> I saw the Bible play out straight. And the guy started reading, reading, true life story. He read the scriptures to him over and over. The man kept on reading Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5. And then after that, he opened Psalm 149. Psalm 149. Then Psalm 79, verse 11. Let the groanings of the prisoners come unto you. According to the greatness of your power, deliver those who are appointed to death. And he kept telling him, say after me. My appointment with death is cancelled. Say after me. My appointment with destruction is cancelled. Say after me. After the guy said that, 
He told him, he said, and he said a short word of prayer. Then he said, we're going. We left. The guy looked like he was still in the mental home, like nothing has changed. I thought he would, you know, because of all the things I've had, I thought he would be casting out demons and the man would be rolling on the floor. He didn't. He said, Look, we can go. I said, we can go. He said, yes. While Topsy then were still asking questions, I was already on my way. <laughs> <laughs> Can't allow this guy to come and pounce on me. Anyway, <laughs> are you with me now? <laughs> you know what? Following the afternoon, by 2 p.m., the boy was released from the place. It was normal. The demon completely left him. Now, you can't do that by just negotiation. Force of the spirit. In 1998, my pastor told me, and our prayer leader, then a pastor also, this time now I've been eating a little bit. So I was having some little strength. But God was training me. So he said to the pastor, he said, there's this guy that we should just do some deliverance for him. This guy's father was the head of wizards in the whole of Nigeria. So the father died, and the father committed and trusted him to continue with the legacy. The head of wizards in the whole of Nigeria. So, true life story, myself and the pastor. The pastor's name is Pastor Tunde. And he said we should do deliverance for this guy. So, of course, it's Pastor Tunde that will do it, right? I'm just going to be, uh, uh, you know, just supporting the man. To continue in the work of ministry, God has given him to do. <laughs> uh, you know the pastor today, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so we're praying for this man, two of us in, the, in, the, in an enclosed room. All of a sudden, this guy that is the son of a wizard, he started saying things like, they, look at the snake. Snake, snake everywhere. And he could literally see the snake. I couldn't see any snake. <laughs> pastor Tony <Zinde> said, <laughs> The guy was talking about the snake, and the guy was jumping up. Can't you see the snake? He was telling us, can't you see the snake? He was jumping up. Can't you see the snake? The snake. The snake here. After, after me to have tried to... I can't allow any strange snake come and bite me. Anyway, are you with me? I, listen to me. I still have... I had issues I'm dealing with. My pastor, I'm just serving in the prayer department. Now they're giving me this responsibility. So, so Pastor Tunde, I could see Christ in action. Pastor Tunde told him, pulled his hand, and told him, say, stand, stand here. Stand in this circle. I command you by the authority of Jesus Christ that owns the earth. You are not permitted to roam around. Stay here. Jesus, this is authority. The guy said, the guy was snake, snake. But he stayed in that circle. And he started speaking to him. And he would give him one command after another command until the guy was calm. I was there. I was the one that went to get the matches and everything. And we burnt all of his regalia. The witchcraft and wizardry regalia. I burnt it myself. I felt like a champion. Pastor today, you know, after Pastor today, I done all the deliverance. They said I should burn it. I was very happy. I carried the thing. I was hoping. Now, can I say some things? I was hoping that all the young girls and everybody in church will see me that I'm now superstar, <laughs> that I can burn the, the clothes of a wizard and nothing happens to me. I went to the back of the church and I I, I, I roam around a little bit so that people can see me. And I put Pastor, have you burned it? I said I'm trying. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. The whole thing came alive, and I told the story everywhere I go. I said we've done deliverance for that guy. We burnt today. <laughs> we born, we born the ten. Now listen to me. This guy was so deep in this wizardry. I said the father was the head of wizardry. Now the first day he came to that church, some elders or elderly people that used to be, I hope they used to be in the kingdom of darkness. When they saw him, they knelt down for him at the door of the church as he was on his way out. That's how they greeted him. They knelt down for him. So when I saw, when I realized that. This is, we can do this. 
I started finding out what did these pastors know? That they are able to confront this thing like this. I'm also a Christian. Jesus also shed his blood for me. Then for my research, I understand something. So I want to show you this now. Are you with me? The master key. Someone say master key. The master key to victory in spiritual warfare is one word, understanding. It is not strength. It is understanding. What is it? Proverbs 21 verse 16 says, He that wanders from the path of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Understanding. Understanding. So somebody say, understanding what? So I'll show you. There are three things you need to understand. And I will continue next time as we explore these three things. The three things you need to understand is, number one, you need to understand what Christ did for you on the cross. Keyword, cross. Cross. The cross. What Christ did for you on the cross. Another keyword there in that sentence is did. Did. Past tense. What Christ did. Past tense. On the cross. Second thing you need to understand. Understand what Christ is doing for you now on the throne. Christ is right now seated on the right hand of God the Father. He's on the throne. Understand what he is doing right now on the throne. The first one is what? Understand what Christ did, did for you on the what? The second one is understand what Christ is what? Doing. Present continuous right now on the what? Throne. The third one is this. Understand what you must do on the earth to enjoy it. Three or four keywords there. And the first one you will see did and cross. Second one you will see doing and throne. The third one you will see must do and earth. All of these words are very important to victory. What Christ did on the cross, he will not do again. But a full understanding of it must be must be known for you to be able to have that level of confidence. So when you see anything in the New Testament that refers to Christ and refers to it in the past tense, that is part of what Christ did. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, look at it. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. He wiped, past tense, out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, was, past tense, which was contrary, was, and he has Taking it out of the way. Come on now. Nailed it. So this is what he did on the cross. But there is also some things he is doing now on the throne. So what is he doing on the throne? Let me give you one. First John chapter 2 verse 1. First John chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. What is he doing now? My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. If you sin, we have. Not that we are going to have. We have an advocate. And that advocate is right now on the throne with the Jesus Christ. Now, So what is he doing? This advocate on the throne, what is he doing? Verse 2. Come on. It says, he himself is. He is. He is the propitiation for our sins. Are you with me now? So... The ministry of Christ did not end when he died on the cross. 
a part of his role, of his ministry ended. Then he continued on the throne. And he's going to continue when he comes back. Are you, are you with me at all? Are you with me at all? So what does the word propitiation mean? I'm going to do another teaching that will break these three areas down. What he did on the cross, what he's doing on the throne, and what you have to do on the earth. But just note that on the throne, he had already conquered principalities and powers. However, he conquered them not for himself. Hmm. He conquered them for you. But because the last time God gave man full dominion on his own, man fell. Satan came to deceive him again. So this time, the last Adam did not give the full dominion, did not give it to man like that. He went to heaven and told man, I am now the head of the new creation. If Satan wants to take it, he has to take me out. So what I'm now doing is that because I'm the head of the new creation, I'm now expecting my children that are on the earth to do something based on what I have done. Are you with me now? I want them to do something based on what I have done. So what is that something you must do? That's something you must do. is what is called enforcement. That's one of those things. You must enforce. Somebody say enforce. enforce. You must enforce. You must enforce. Enforce. You see, today we have what we call law enforcement. Why do we have law enforcement? Why didn't we just have law? We have law enforcement officers because not everybody will willingly obey the law. So we need to have people that will enforce the law. Policemen don't make the law. The legislature makes the law. The executive signs it into being law. Okay? It becomes effective. However, the policeman, their role is to enforce the law. So Jesus Christ has done his part on the cross. Okay? On the throne is empowering us through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, so that you can do the enforcement. Thank you, Jesus. So you, when you take authority, you are enforcing what Christ won for you. But you must. Another teaching, we will break down what all of this means. But let me round up by saying this to you. What changed my life? That I didn't fear anymore. Because this thing, you have to understand it over and over again. And it must be said, as simple as it is, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Let's start from verse 19. Verse 19 to 23. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. Now, the Bible is talking about the exceeding greatness of the power of God. Towards us, however, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, keep going, please, which he walked, he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand, that is on the throne now. Verse 21. Please pay attention. This, go back to verse 20. Holy Spirit. He seated him at his right hand. He seated him at his right hand. Now, so he seated at where? Right hand hand of who? God the Father. Where is this right hand? In heavenly places. Can you see this now? Can you see this? And verse 21 now describes this right hand. Look at what it says as we round up now. It says, it is what? Now, if you read it very fast, you might not get the import. So I wanted to break down the words. It is number one, far. Number two, all principality and power. Just look at those first three words. It is number one, far. And number two, and above what? And power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, and the age in which the Bible was written, but also in the age, so in the age in which the Bible were written, some of the gods that were there in those days, Diana, Zeus, and all of those gods, 
Jesus Christ is above them. In today's world that we live in, we also have other gods, and you have them all over in different cultures. But the Bible says Jesus is not just above them. He is what? Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is far above them? Okay. And that is very exciting for me. That's what he did. However, I also now saw that in the book of Ephesians, same Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 6, this is what changed my life. He says, he raised us up together. So when he raised Christ, he raised us up. And not only that, he now made us sit. Where are we seated now? In the heaven. Oh, this changed my life. So that means that when I'm doing warfare, I am not speaking to somebody on my level. I am not meeting with somebody on my level and trying to fight somebody on my level like in a wrestling ring and we're going to see who is more powerful. What Christ did for me was to eternally, positionally make me and you superior to the devil. Listen to me. Listen to me. We are not superior to the enemy because we're called into ministry. We're superior to the enemy because he raised us up together. If you are a Christian, you have been made alive in Christ, you have been raised up, raised up together. When you get do baptism and you are put in the water, you died with Christ. You are buried with Christ. Immediately you come out of the water, you are raised with Christ. You, that is an identification with Christ. And the Bible says at the same time, you are seated together in heavenly places. You are not going to pray. There's no prayer you will ever pray to be seated in heavenly places. Because you have been seated. Seated in heavenly places. And the Bible says this heavenly places is not only above. It is far above every principality and power and name that is named. Not only in this age, but even in the age which is to come. So, positionally, before this battle starts, we are not fighting our mates. You are not fighting your colleague. You're not fighting somebody on your level. You're fighting somebody that you're far superior to. Come on, you're far superior to the devil. Listen to me. When I understood this, from the teachings and the works of Kenneth E. Hagen, it changed my attitude in warfare. So, I don't do warfare and look up. Because that's wrong. I pray to God and I look up. I worship and I look up. I do warfare and I look down. Why do I say that? Because Jesus Christ said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you authority to step. If they were not below us, he would not say to You can't step on something that's not below you. Now this lamp is ahead now. It's on the ceiling. I can't step on it. Jesus Christ said, I give you authority to step on the lamp. It's not below me, but it must be below you before he says, I give you the authority to step upon the serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy. How many of the power of the enemy? All, all the power of the enemy. Now, the amazing thing is this. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're hoping that one day you will believe this after you have really, really prayed and you've been a good Christian, then you will finally believe this and it will work for you. You will never believe it. The enemy has cheated you. As I'm speaking to you right now, if you can't believe it, you can't believe it. You must believe it now and start acting it. It is as you believe it now and you start acting it that it becomes more and more real. Anywhere you go, you are far superior. Anywhere you go, you are far superior. You're far superior to the forces of darkness. Anywhere you go, you're, that is why the Bible says, greater is he that is in you. Come on, speak to me. Than he. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca
God bless you.